I'm talking to Dan uh, Stover today. Um, <clears throat> this is the Southland Review podcast with me, Dennis Bernstein, and uh, we get together with a lot of, I think, important people in the Southland, um, talk about business, talk about all things business. And in general, we're always talking about people, uh, assets, and profit. Those are, those are the th three things we're talking about, and we kind of get there different ways. So Dan is a, a, an organizational psychologist, works with leaders, does a lot of executive coaching, and um, I've known Dan for a few years, actually. We met, um, I think we met at, a, Dan, where do we meet? How do we meet? I, th I think 2016 at um, a talk you gave about authentic relationships in networking. Ah, right. Um, and, and we sort of hit it off. So we've been, we've been talking for since then. And so I'm going to ask you, I, I have a couple questions and, and certainly, you know, um, you would know as, as much or better than most. So, Leadership and management, these, these are, you know, there's an age-old debate, you know, is are leaders managers or managers leaders? What's the difference? Is there a difference? And, and if there is a difference, how do, we, how do we become more effective in both? I love the way you worded that. Um, my experience has been the smaller the company the more things you are, meaning at a smaller organization, there's no option to be anything but a leader and a manager. And the simplest way to think about um, splitting your time or budgeting your time on management versus leadership in respect to the differences is you're accountable um, to getting results through other people. That's management. Um, and having a plan and a strategy, that's management. And then there's leadership, which is why people show up to work for you at all. Meaning how I feel about my company is going to have a lot more to do with how my boss or leader makes me feel and how they interact with me than it does the actual job I'm performing myself, even, if, even though the job is a factor. Now on the flip side, uh, the larger the company, sometimes you have a choice. Um, I've, I've met with folks who are capable of just being in a management position only, um, whether or not they have any interest in leadership because the organization is so large. Maybe it's a matrixed managed organization where there's lots of dotted lines between direct report and leader and like what people are allowed to be accountable to others for like, one, one really good example of this is a project manager may not be the leader of the team and exclusively gets to manage product, uh, projects, meaning they're still accountable to um, achieving results through other people, but they're not really expected to lead or are they, you know, which is a, a determination every individual and their organization has to make if they're in that position. Um, so the answer is yes, you can be both as well, which is like kind of a second part to your question. Mm -hmm. um, leadership and management do coexist. They just use different parts of the brain. Um, meaning I'm, I'm oversimplifying That's this a, to some degree, yeah. but. Yeah. 
the oversimplification oversimplification of this is that um, management would rely um, more heavily on the left hemisphere of the brain, which is analytical, mathematical, more process driven. Leadership would rely a little more on the right hemisphere of the brain, which is um, more creative expression, more emotional processing, more relationship oriented, and it requires both. Um, now, I think why people have historically said mm, it's either leadership or management is because most people have a strength um, in one side or the other of the hemispheres of the brain based on how they were raised, based on their personality, based mm -hmm. on their life experiences. There are just people generally more relationship oriented. And there's generally people more process oriented. And I think that's why we started making assumptions about they can't exist in the same person or they're separate people altogether. So, our, so I'll dovetail. So our great, can, can you, can you, can you make a great leader or great leaders born? Oh, I like that. That's a age old, wonderful question. Yeah. Um, it's both. Um, some people are uh, born with a, a certain kaleidoscope of personality traits where they just have this it factor. And from a very young age, people, adults around this little child, just see it like this, this kid is just kind of an anomaly He's different. She's different. So, so They're different. Can I, can I jump in here? So, so sure. using that, that, that description that you just, you just gave, does the, does the environment around that little kid that sort of shows that kind of that, that kind of it factor, does that just feed the whole thing? And if he, and if he didn't have that environment, it would be, it, you might not get the same outcome. It, it, how much of that is the, is the environment once they, once somebody spots it in a young person? It's interesting. Nature and nurture are both huge factors in how we relate to people. That's where the leadership piece comes in. How we relate to others um, are the environment we're in fosters that ability. So there are some, so how to tie that to leadership, right? If leadership is more emotionally and relationally based in terms of being a great leader, the environment you're in certainly has an impact on how much work you'll have to do in your adult life to be relationally savvy and be attuned to your own emotions and other people's versus seeming more naturally gifted at it because of the environment you grew up in. Now, like to go to the flip side, I don't want that to sound discouraging because a huge portion of my work over the last eight years has been working with uh, people in leadership positions that were promoted because they were exceptionally high performers but really struggle in the emotion and relationship department. And there has been tremendous growth in them just learning the foundation and the fundamentals of what it means to be emotionally attuned and what to do with our thoughts and feelings, and then how to relate and attune and adopt and adjust different things um, in relating to other people. So that, that is all to say, in the most 
difficult environments as a child and in the more linear personality um, or analytical personality styles, leadership, when it comes to the emotions and the relationship stuff, can absolutely be learned. There just has to be a will to learn it and a will to change. Yeah. And a, and a really, uh, I would assume, uh, this is an assumption of mine, uh, somebody that somebody that needs somebody that has the ability to develop a fair amount of self-awareness. Yes. Oh, couldn't have said it better. Self-awareness is the beginning of all of this um, because whatever I'm unaware of about myself typically controls me and my best of intentions get muted by whatever I'm not aware of playing out all the time. Like a good example is shame. Most of us don't realize how much we shame ourselves into motive, being motivated to do something. And if I'm unaware of that, I can't do anything with it. And I'm, I'm going to end up tripping over my shoelaces with other people if that's an unconscious driver and why I do things. Right, right. It's shame or guilt in my case since, you know, I, I was raised Jewish. So <laughs> the story was always Jews have guilt and everybody else has shame. So I don't... I. I'm not entirely sure what the difference of those two words are, but you know what, who knows? So that's so funny. Ask you this. What do, what do leaders do that really cause more harm than good? What, what, cause I've heard, you know, we've talked, you and I have talked about it too. Are what, you know, what, what are the kinds of things that leaders, you know, often do that really can cause harm to a team, to an organization. And, and in some cases they may think they're doing the right thing, but it's not. Yeah, um, I like I like the timing of that question because it fits so nicely in where we left off with self-awareness. So there's the things that are detrimental in um, that a leader does, and there's the detrimental things uh, that they don't do. So I'll speak a little bit to both um, and just kind of like the, the most common ones I see. The, um, the thing they do that is most detrimental to their organizations is emotionally react to people, creating a culture of fear, meaning um, they are either aggressive in how they communicate or um, uh, hypercritical of people, express arrogance, which are just all emotional drivers that the person is probably not aware of but they really shut people down in how they communicate and how they um, hold people accountable. And it, it just deflates um, the organization emotionally and sentimentally. Like there's a saying I love that a customer can't love your business until your employees love their bosses um, because of how that through line is going to express itself with the front a, line a, and customer facing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, and so I, I think one of the things that leaders do that's detrimental is um, uh, kind of just not attuning to people's feelings and just either berating them or being overly critical, arrogant, those kinds of things. Yeah. Um, one of the things that's detrimental that leaders don't do is take it upon themselves or see it as their responsibility to develop the people who report to them as whole human beings. Meaning if I'm working from you, I have needs, I have desires, I have goals that I might not even be aware of, but are going to dramatically impact how much or little I like working for you in this company. 
And as a leader, whether you signed up for this or not, it's your responsibility to bring that out of people if you want to have a great culture. And I see a lot of leaders get freaked out by that because it seems arduous and it seems such like a big mountain to climb um, if you don't know where to start. But figuring out where to start in bringing out people's desires, um, their goals, their aspirations, their motivations, like having that conversation and helping them get there within your company or outside of it is one of the key pieces key reasons people will run through a wall for you um, and will do their best in serving the customers. Um, there's always this complaint from leaders that I just, I wish more people thought like an owner, like took more responsibility. Um, I see people do that yeah. when their boss cares about their aspirations and their desires and their goals personally and professionally. And some people you can have a more vulnerable conversation with than others, but just having the conversation and making the effort goes a long way. So those are two of the key things that are active and passive and detrimental. I was going to, I was going to add something to, I, I, it's funny that you, you'd say that cause I I've heard owners say that often. Um, you know, I just wish they would, I wish they'd think like an owner and, and I can remember way back when um, early in my career, I was, uh, we were doing some recruiting for a position and we were, we were going to hire this person that had been working for the, uh, for the, the head of the department for years, we were going to promote her into that position. And, um, and when we finally, finally got around going through all the interview process and all the other stuff, and we went to go promote her, she said, look, I don't want that job. <laughs> I know what hmm. that job looks like. I don't want that job. I like my job. I like coming to work at eight, leaving at five. I know what that job looks like. I'm here on the weekends. I'm here at night. That's not what I want to do. I have so, so not everybody's built to be an owner and not everybody wants to be that. Some people really, Dan, just want to come to work, work for a good company, work for a good individual and do their job. They, they don't want... They don't want the ownership. They don't want any, they, they want to do their job well and they want to be given the tools to do their job well. And if we as leaders don't do that, that's a problem. That's our problem, not their problem. That's such a great example of why having these conversations are critically important. And I want to add one thing um, in agreeing with uh, everything you just said there. Sometimes there's a beautiful reason why someone doesn't want to move up, like why they just want to be an individual contributor um, or without meaning to sound demeaning like yeah. a worker bee. Yeah. Um, there's a, a story from a, a healthcare group I worked with that just the summary of that story is an individual that never, that conversation about what she actually wanted didn't happen, was promoted and only then did she figure out that being promoted and being in a high level, highly visible leadership position um, affected her ability um, in her mind to be the mom she wanted to be. And what she realized in hindsight um, that could have been figured out in advance with some deliberate conversations is that staying where she was as an A player individual contributor 
um, was actually what helped her be the best mom in the world to her three children. So it was a great reason to stay in her role. And she suffered and her, her organization suffered in the time that she was in that leadership position. Um, and I've found similar stories like that over the years where people have some really great reasons why not to move up, but it's just figuring out, well, what does motivate you then? What do you like? Why do you come to work? What's your favorite stuff if you're not looking to move up is just as important. Absolutely. Well, Dan, look, I, I appreciate um, I appreciate you, you uh, stepping on board and chatting. We'll do this again really soon because I always find our conversations to be uh, – enlightening and interesting and um, do appreciate you as an individual uh, and appreciate the work that you're doing for organizations and and to and in, in my case you know some of the conversations we've had so much appreciated um, I uh, once again this is Dennis Bernstein I'm uh, we're doing the Southland review We've been with uh, talking with Dan Stover, who is the CEO and founder of Insight Partners. Uh, they do uh, executive coaching, organizational development, and uh, uh, Dan is an organizational psychologist. Right, uh, Ohio State, right? Uh, yeah, Ohio State is um, my undergrad alma mater. The the Ohio State. We'll we'll leave it right there. <laughs> and thanks again, and we'll talk soon. Thanks so much, Dennis. I appreciate your time and thanks a lot for having me on. It's such a pleasure. All right. Take care, Dan. See ya. You too. Bye-bye. <laughs>